Hey y'all, and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren. Before we jump in today, I just want to say thank you for your patience in me getting these last two Advent podcasts out. I honestly intended to post them before Christmas, but as my kids got out for um, their Christmas break, I honestly began to feel like maybe we were missing Christmas. And I knew I needed to take a week and spend time with them and really mark the season. And so that's just what we did. As I wrestled with letting you down and not getting these last two podcasts out before Christmas, I remembered that I had continued to preach to you the grace um, about finishing before Christmas, knowing that Christmas and Epiphany doesn't end until January 6th. And so as I was extending that grace to you, I knew I also needed to extend it to me as well. So thank you for your patience and your continued support. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas celebrating Jesus, our Waymaker, even if it was different, even if it was not the Christmas that you had hoped for or anticipated. In some ways, Hebrews 12 and 13 are actually perfect for the week between Christmas and New Year's because they beckon us to reflect back but to look ahead, to keep moving forward. And it's a good practice as we move into 2021. So here's Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews is writing this letter to Jewish believers in about the mid-60s AD. Maybe we think about 68 AD. We know it's before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD because he is still referencing throughout the book the practice of sacrifice in the temple. And so the, he's spent the first 10 chapters reminding them that Jesus is better. You see, they, they wanted to go back to their old ways, to their old face. They are facing intense persecution, not only from their government, but potentially from their old faith community, from potentially even family members. And in the face of this persecution, many of them are tempted to go back to their old ways, to their old life, to their old faith. And so the author of Hebrews, this unknown author, is writing this letter to encourage them forward to say that Jesus is worth pursuing, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is fully God and he is fully man. He's shown how he's greater than the law. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's the more and better Melchizedek. He's the more and better tabernacle. He is the great high priest. And after this culmination in um, those first 10 chapters of, of the idea that Jesus is better, the mediator of a better covenant, he then spends the last three chapters, uh, chapters 11, 12, and 13, encouraging them forward in their faith to keep pursuing Jesus. Chapter 11 really focuses on those who pursued faith, even though they did not see the promised Messiah, and that our faith comes from Jesus. Remember the definition of faith is divine persuasion. It means that we are persuaded by God and that it comes with knowing God. It's the reality of what we hope for, not guessing and hoping it comes true, but it's knowing that God keeps his promises and he is who he says he is. And so he really begins chapter 12 um, saying, therefore, so in light of that, here's how we move forward. So 
Um, we had another split um, reference verses this week. So I'm going to start with verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the the people that were just listed and the ones he said he didn't even have time because we have so many people who are also walking out their faith. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We are not alone in being faithful. And because of that, um, he calls us to lay aside, or your version may say throw off or put away. It literally means to put away. In Greek, um, there are um, tenses and, and different ways that you translate verbs, but there's also this aspect of the voice. And this particular verb is in middle voice, which means it's an action you do for your own benefit. And so to put off, it's for our own benefit. During this day, runners would literally shed their clothes and so that they could run completely unencumbered, completely unhindered. They would complete, they would run completely naked. That way there was nothing to trip them up. And also because they probably didn't have like the real tight spandex and stuff. So, um, but that is the image that the author of Hebrews is giving to them. They're saying, we are running a race. This life is a race and, and we need to shed everything that would trip us up. Anything that's going to slow you down in pursuing Jesus, throw it off. Get rid of anything that was that is going to entangle you or hinder you and fix our eyes. And I love this, y'all, the Greek word for this, it means to look away from all else, to look away from all else, to fix our eyes on Jesus means that we look away from everything that's not him. The word literally means I look away from something else to see distinctly. It comes from two words that mean away from and see. So properly, it has this idea of looking away from everything else and fixing our gaze upon one. We are called to look, fix our eyes on Jesus. Where we look matters. For a very brief moment in my life, I was what I would have considered a runner. Um, I had a friend who my best friend, Sarah was trying to figure out how to get me to run some races with her. And so she found a half marathon where you got a Tiffany's necklace at the end, um, from a firefighter wearing a tuxedo, he handed it to you off a silver platter. And she's like, that'll get Aaron to run. And so we did, um, it's my one half marathon, but I can remember as I was doing these races, um, I'm, I'm not a great trainer. And I think part of it was because there's no finish line. You would just go out and you would run. But every time I was in a race, and particularly when I was in that um, half marathon, 
when you rounded that last corner and you could see the finish line, when I locked eyes on the finish line and I knew where I was running, I suddenly was able to run much better, faster, with more passion, with more energy, with more joy, with more excitement, because I knew exactly where I was going. And I, that's the image that, that locks into my brain here, this idea that where we look matters. And when we lock eyes on our Savior, when we lock eyes on to Jesus, and we look nowhere else, we turn our eyes away from everything else, then we can run a race well. It's why I go back to Hebrews 2.1 over and over and over turn our minds to the things that we have heard or we drift away. Because if we aren't turning our minds to Jesus, if we aren't turning to the truth that we know in him, we will drift away. There's no in-between. Our sin, whatever is distracting us, whatever is holding us back, we must turn away from it so that we can see Jesus and run after Jesus. And not just because he's a great guy and not because he's a good cheerleader. It's because he is the way maker. He's the author of our faith. Your version may say pioneer or source. It means he's the chief, the creator, the originator. Our faith is rooted in Jesus. And if Jesus isn't at the center, then that's not your faith. It's not the true faith if Jesus is not at the center. He is the author of our faith. He's also the perfecter or the finisher, which means completer. Remember, he finished the work. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And I think often we read this and we think we're the joy. We think that we are the, the, that he, the cross is the joy for him, that he suffered with joy. But the joy is that he made a way for us. He opened that path for us to have relationship with God. His joy was doing the saving work. And because of that, he endured the greatest suffering and now is seated, finished at the right hand of God. He is not gone. He is not dead. He is alive. It's the fourth time in this letter that the author has referenced Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Remember Hebrews 1.3. It's the first place we saw it. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember who he's writing to, these Jewish believers. They are facing intense persecution, ridicule, isolation because of their faith. His words are not just to remind them of who Jesus is and what he did for them, but that he understands that he suffered too. Remember back to Hebrews 4, he can sympathize with us because he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. He suffered because of the joy that was coming. 
And we are challenged to do the same, even in our moments of suffering, even in the time where life is hard or when we are being persecuted or when um, things just aren't going our way. Whether it's just because of sin in the world or it's because of circumstances or it's just disappointed hopes. We have to remember where our joy lies. It's in eternity. And then the author in verses three through 17, he moves into this section about not despising the discipline of God. Um, but, um, and I'm not going to go into it um, verse by verse, but really the key um, idea that I took out of this is in verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. And oftentimes we read this and we think, oh my goodness, God is punishing me to teach me a lesson. God is causing me um, to go through something really hard and bad because of something bad I did. But that's not what discipline means. The Greek um, translation of this verse literally says, endure suffering as discipline. And he uses the example of a father who disciplines a son. But discipline does not mean punishment. Discipline means teaching. So we endure suffering as a teacher because God uses it. Y'all, like the fact that our God can take suffering and use it as a teacher, to use it as a tool to grow us. We see it throughout scripture. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint because we have the love of Christ poured into our hearts through the blood of Jesus Christ. Suffering produces character and perseverance and hope in us. Psalm 119.71 says, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. As much as I hate to say it and admit it, hardships have taught me more about God than easy living has. It's been in my hardest times where I wanted to ask God, why is this happening to me? And I learned that when I switched that question and ask God, how will you use this in my life? I learned in the hardship what his promises are. I learned his statutes. I learned who God is. I learned his character and it strengthened my faith. So um, keep that just kind of in the back of your head because we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But um, I want to pick up in verse 18. And this is a warning. This is his warning to them. This is what's going to happen this will be what happens if you, if, if you do not continue pursuing Jesus. And we see this comparison here between the first covenant where Moses was the mediator at Mount Sinai and the new covenant, the better covenant that is mediated by Jesus. Verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is referencing back to God meeting with 
the Israelites and with Moses in the wilderness at Mount Sinai to give them the Ten Commandments. And y'all, the Israelites understood the holiness of God. Moses had gathered them at the foot of the mountain and God spoke to the whole of Israel, the Ten Commandments. Um, I remember when I studied this um, last year, the year before, I was so blown away by that, that I always pictured, you know, Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments from God, but no, he gathers the whole assembly and he comes down in this darkness and this, um, this fire and this, and this tempest, this wind, and he gives the Ten Commandments. And the, the people were, were terrified. They drew back and they begged Moses to be their intermediary because they feared the holiness of God. And many of the words that are used here in these verses in Hebrews are the same words used in the Greek translations of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 4. Exodus 20, 21 says the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Deuteronomy 4, 10 through 13 says uh, Moses is speaking to and relaying the events of what happened on that day to the Israelites. He says, how on the day that you stood before you, the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven and wrapped in darkness and cloud and gloom. Do you hear that? The dark, the cloud, the gloom, the blazing fire, the darkness, the gloom, the tempest. Then the Lord spoke out of the midst of the fire and you heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you to perform. That is the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And I read these words to you because I think sometimes we forget why Jesus came. Later is Moses who he drew toward the mountain. He begged God to show himself to him. And he said, I can't, you'll die. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I will put you into the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand and I will pass my backside and declare my name to you. And so God does this for Moses. And he says, you have to make sure that nobody, not even the cattle are on that side of the mountain, because if they see my glory, if they see me, they will die. And so he does this for Moses and he passes by and he declares his name to him. And then Moses's face shone so brightly that the people were scared and, and Moses had to cover his face with a veil. Like that's the holiness of our God. And that's not him being mean. That's just literally who he is. And I think sometimes on this side of the cross, we forget the gravity of the situation. We forget that we, in the presence of a holy God, a consuming fire, that we die. Jesus didn't come to save us from our sins. He came to be the blood covering that made a way for us to have relationship with our holy God without fear of death. And that is what the author of Hebrews is saying here in verse 22. But you, you have come to Mount Zion 
and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have access to Jesus, I mean to God, because of Jesus. Only because we are covered by his blood may we approach that throne of grace with confidence. Because Jesus, the mediator of that new covenant, we get to come to the city of the living God. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is the warning. Keep looking to Jesus. Do not refuse him who is speaking. Remember, he started saying that in those early days, he spoke by the prophets, but in these days, now he speaks through Jesus. Do not, do not reject him who he is speaking through. Do not reject the word. Do not reject Jesus. Because if you reject him here, how much more so will you not be spared when one day, remember, he is the one who is upholding this universe. And one day, Jesus will let go. And all the things that are temporary will be shaken away. And what will remain will be the things that cannot be shaken, the things of the kingdom of God. And while this is speaking of an ultimate shaking one day, there is a shaking that happens in the here and now. And boy, has 2020 shaken us. The the trials, the, the pain, the suffering that we have experienced this year, it has shaken us. I heard this analogy many years ago talking about if you hold a glass of water and someone shakes your arm, um, why does water spill out of the glass? And our natural reaction is to be like, because somebody is shaking my arm. But the real reason is because water is inside the glass. And so in this year of shaking, some things are getting shaken out of us. And it's been a really hard and painful process. <laughs> because what has spilled out of me, I know has not always been pretty, as my kids could probably attest. <laughs> we have all had things spilled out of us, shaken out of us. And he does this so that what remains are the things that cannot be shaken. Go back to verses 15 through 17. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. 
when we allow bitterness to take root, when we allow the things that we're going through to take root in our life, it causes trouble. Verse 16, um, uh, by it, no, many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. If you'll think, remember back to Jacob and Esau, it's this kind of weird story that in the Old Testament where, um, you know, Jacob is trying to, goes to trick Esau to sell him his birthright. And Esau comes in and he's hungry and he's so hungry. Jacob says, well, I'll give you some of this stew if you give me your birthright. And for us, you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but he gave up the advantages of being the firstborn. Everything hinged on being the firstborn, his inheritance, the privilege, all of that went to the firstborn and he gave it up all because he was hungry. He traded his eternal position for temporary satisfaction. And the author of Hebrews is encouraging them and us as well. He's saying, do not give up your eternal position because things are hard here and now. Because Jesus offers us eternal sustainment. The things of our flesh, the shadows of religion, they cannot do that. Matthew Henry calls it king's stomach. It's what am I craving that I would be willing to trade temporary satisfaction for in place of God's promises. And Esau lost greatly. But what we stand to lose by walking away from Jesus is so much more. In the book, in the devotional for this chapter, I shared about this idea, this process of idol work, this process of learning where I place my value on things over God and how much the shaking in my life often reveals that. As this year shook me, it began to show me places in my life where I was putting my hope and my trust more than I was putting my hope and trust in God. It was showing me that when my life is shaky, where I turn to for comfort more than I turn to the comfort of God. And the questions I begin, I ask myself when I'm going through these things is, where do I try to shortcut his plan? Where do I lack trust in what he promised? What do I go for? And what do I even go to God for? Sometimes y'all, we, we go to God and take him our things, but we go to him for the wrong stuff. Um, like the in John, where we studied um, after the feeding of the 5,000, the people continued to pursue Jesus because they were looking for bread for their stomachs. They were listening to King's stomach. Do we go to him for the temporary needs for something to satisfy us on earth? Or do we come to him um, looking for the thing that will sustain us for eternity? Do we come to him for what he can do for us? Or do we come to him because of who he is? And when we don't get the answer we want from God, do we turn away and no longer walk with him? It's some of the saddest verses in John where the people don't get the bread and they turn and they walk away from Jesus.
do we keep going after Jesus, even when we don't get the answer we want? Do we keep running after Jesus? Do we keep looking to Jesus? Do we keep remembering Jesus? Do we remember that he is the Holy One of God? And it is only through him, our bread of life, that we will find who will satisfy the deepest longings of our soul, not just for today, but for eternity. It's why in the back of the book, I have these questions for you to go through and kind of reflect on this year. This year has been hard. And that's why it actually, the first question is what has been hard this year? Because I think it's healthy and important to acknowledge what was hard. But don't stop there. I don't want you to miss what Jesus did in your life this year, in the shaking, as the things spilled out of you, what remained? What were the things that could not be shaken? Let's let suffering teach us and then let us be thankful. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. No matter what has happened this year, his kingdom, the kingdom that we can approach, the kingdom that we can be part of because of Jesus, it cannot be shaken. No matter what is going on in your world, no matter what is going on in your job, no matter what disease is running rampant, no matter who is president, no matter who is ruling the country or the world, or no matter what is going on in the streets, no matter what is posted on social media, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the words exchanged, he is still on the throne and nothing on this earth can shake his kingdom. Psalm 93.1 and Psalm 96.10 tell us that his kingdom shall never be moved. And because of that, we are grateful and we come to him with reverence and awe and true worship. I want to close reading Psalm 46 because I think it speaks so much to who he is, even in the midst of the trouble that we have been through this year and through the shaking God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. He is with us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And he is our very present help in the shaking. Our God is a consuming fire, but I am so thankful for Jesus. 
Without him, we would be like those who were lost in the wilderness, unable to approach him. But Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he endured the cross for us. He made the way for us. He said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can have peace in this life, in these circumstances, because of who Jesus is and what he did in coming. He has overcome the world, and because of that, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Man, we have just one chapter left. I can't believe it. I am so proud of you for making it this far. Our next study on the Gospel of John chapters 11 through 21 will kick off Tuesday, January 26th. And you can find more information about that on my website, feastingontruth.com slash Bible study. There will be a study journal available soon on Amazon. So stay tuned for more information about that. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you, God, that we can come to the mountain. We can come to Mount Zion, Lord. We can come before you and we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for making a way for us to have relationship with you. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to show us what we need to throw off, what is hindering us and tripping us up and keeping us from pursuing and running the race, Lord, with our eyes fixed on you. May we lose sight of the distractions and instead fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we keep running and pursuing after him. It's in your name I pray. Amen.